Welcome to the D1 Softball Podcast. Today's episode is brought to us by our friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from the youth levels all the way to the pros. So super excited about having them with us this season. And it's the first official episode of 2024. And for those of you who tuned into our live that we did in Clearwater, thank you. And for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, like we'll we'll reintroduce ourselves a little bit. So I'm Jenna Becerra. I'm a Stanford softball alum. I'm a broadcaster for Pac-12 Networks and Stanford Athletics across multiple sports. I also host the Believe in Softball podcast with Believe Network, and I'm on the digital team at D1 Softball. Super excited to work with my amazing co-host, who I think you all know who she is, but we'll let her introduce herself too. Hello, everyone. My name is Amanda Lorenz. I'm a Florida softball alum, currently still playing with Athletes Unlimited in Team USA, and I'm so excited to talk some softball this season with Jenna. We're super excited, and we will cover a variety of different things, I think, throughout the year. You know, we'll talk about top 25 rankings. We'll do some interviews potentially with players, coaches, and maybe other people in the softball world. Some stat chats with 643 Charts, our partners, maybe some superlatives and, and other things too. Let us know what you want to hear about uh, as well, because we'd, we'd love to know that. And for our lineup today, we'll start with the top 25 rankings, talk about a Clearwater recap because we were both there together. It was so fun. And then we'll get into plays of the week and maybe our first super superlative, which will keep a surprise uh, towards the end. So to start things off with the top 25 rankings. So first of all, like thinking about just how this works, like this is voted on by a panel of staff, just so everybody knows like how that even comes into play. Um, so early in the season, like one thing that I've noticed every single year is that it's a little more volatile, just like batting averages, ERAs, all the stats, everything is a little bit more volatile early on. Um, but we have an updated top 25 this week. And it's no surprise that Oklahoma is still at the top. I mean, that is something that we have seen, but also Texas and Georgia are really closely behind. So 11 SEC teams five Pac-12 teams, four Big 12 teams, three ACC teams, one Big 10 team, and then one from the Patriot League, Boston getting in there at the bottom. So, Amanda, this is a lot to take in. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of your takeaways for this week? Yeah, I think that, well, number one, while Oklahoma maybe hasn't had as intense competition as the rest of our top 25, they still have earned the right to be one, um, in my opinion. I mean, the proof is in the pudding with how how many games in a row they won and just how talented they still are. But um, I'm really impressed with Texas and Georgia, and I'm excited to see how they keep getting better. Um, this was the first time that I had eyes on Texas. And I mean, they can play defense, they can pitch, and they can hit. So it's it's it was a lot of fun to watch. And I think that I already can't wait for the OU Texas series. Um, I'm really excited about that one. And I know we have a while to go. <laughs> I know it's, it's only February still. It feels somehow like so many things have happened, but it's still so early at the same time, but you're totally right. It was really awesome to see Texas this past weekend. They beat Stanford and Tennessee in the same day, by the way, like that is impressive in itself. They also, obviously, we know, beat UCLA twice, including the 16 to nothing run rule. Four out of seven of their games, by the way, have been run rules, too, for Texas so far this season. So considering the competition that they've also faced, pretty impressive. 
So and nice. yeah. And like you said, the Bulldogs too, like nine and zero to start the season. And they've played some great teams like Oklahoma state, Florida state, UCLA. Uh, and they scored, I think it was 34 runs in just those games, like 18 home runs on the season. They they're bringing it when it comes to being up at the plate. Absolutely. And I think the thing that we have always known about Georgia is they always have been able to hit, right? I think the thing is that's most exciting about them this year is like they're playing defense really well. They're pitching pretty well. Like it's exciting. It seems like things are kind of coming together for them that I haven't seen that in probably a long time. And obviously um, coach Tony Baldwin's doing a great job. Um, I know that he has um, JT there too handling the defense and they're taking it really seriously. And you can, and you can see that, you know, I loved the matchup against Oklahoma State because I think both of them traditionally I think of them as big hitting teams and I was excited to see who was going to outslug the other. Mm, yes, that's been uh, I think a trend too, and, and we'll get into that with with Clearwater in terms of who's going to outslug the other. Yeah. That was definitely a theme. I would add to to those couple of callouts Arizona and Cal. You know, both enter the rankings this week too. Um, Arizona had split with Arkansas. And the score in both of those games I thought was interesting was three to two. So it was a one run game twice. Um, and Arizona took the first one. Arkansas came back and took the second one. But Arizona's off to a 10 and one start overall. And, you know, understandably so. And I think deservedly so. The Pac 12 freshman of the week is Reagan Shockey. And she was 11 for 16, had multiple multi hit games and scored eight runs, including the game winner against Arkansas. And also, I think this is important too. We talk about hitting obviously a lot, but she had a perfect fielding percentage for the weekend as well. So I think um, also a sign for maybe some of the future talent that the Wildcats could have. Yeah, absolutely. How about a freshman coming in and just ready to roll the first two weeks? Um, Reagan is a really competitive kid. I've actually known her for for a really long time, played in the um, Orange County Batbusters organization. I've been really excited about her um, kind of making her splash on the college softball season seen and how exciting for Arizona, right? Like she's more of their traditional kid, the one that comes in ready to slap and make things happen. And I think she's like what I think of traditionally of Arizona softball is someone like Reagan. So I'm so excited for her to kind of, and she's just a freshman has so much of her career left. Um, I'm so excited to see like how she comes into that more leadership role and, and kind of helps get Arizona back to that tradition, um, which we all know and love. Yeah. And you said earlier when we were chatting that this is first time in a few years that, you know, you've been extra excited about Arizona. So we're going to keep an I agree with you there. We're, we'll keep an eye on them throughout this season. Um, and then as well in the Pac-12, as mentioned, Cal, they also have be beaten two ranked teams. At least they were ranked at the time. They split with Louisiana as well in the first weekend. And then they beat Virginia Tech this past weekend. So they're also 10-1 overall. And they got Pac-12 Player of the Week representation with Elon Butler, who's also an underclassman. Um, she was nine for 14 with a couple of home runs, but also three for three against Virginia Tech with a game tying home run and then an extra innings, an RBI double to, to bring it in. So, you know, talk about being clutch as well in the right moments. Yeah, I love it. I think both of both Arizona and Cal have made some staff changes as well coming into this year. So it's really exciting to see that um, looks like they made the right moves and and their athletes are are showing up and um, really excited to watch, especially with this being the last year of the Pac-12. Yes, the the swan song, we should say, for, for the West Coast, <laughs> uh, side of the house. But then, you know, if you look at the East Coast, like one thing I also wanted to mention, too, is Boston making it into the rankings. 
they have a 10 and 0 start. They're undefeated. And I think what stands out to me is that it's hard to beat teams twice. Like that is something we see every year, especially in the postseason when beating teams twice really, really matters. Um, and they've actually done it four times, including beating Charlotte twice, who, yes, this is the Charlotte that beat Florida State in the first game of the season. And they're set to play Duke this weekend. So that'll be their first ranked team that they're going to go up against. And I'm I'm excited to see that because there's plenty of talent outside the Power Five as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, so hard to win, even harder to win twice, doing it multiple times, multiple times against different teams. Super excited to see their matchup with Duke. Yeah. I think for the Big Ten, too, you know, we see Northwestern um, in there, but there are a lot of cancellations. We'll get into that, too, when we talk about Clearwater. And I think, you know, that might have affected them a little bit. I think when they start to get more of those games in in the future preseason tournaments and going into conference play, like we could see a little bit more representation there, too. But we'll we'll see. Well, I think we wanted to also answer some of all of your questions um, that you had on the top 25. And this will be exciting for me and Amanda, because we just like hearing from you guys too. Like we like to, to hear your thoughts and it gets our, our wheels turning as well. Um, so some of the questions that you guys submitted on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, um, came in. And one of the first ones that we were going to talk about, um, we'll pull up in a second. And I think they're all really interesting And I haven't actually talked to Amanda about all of them beforehand. So I'm excited to hear her thoughts live, like as all of (laughs) you are finding them out too. So first question, Florida State with a win over Stanford and a better record, yet Stanford stands above them and in the top 10. We got to see these teams live, Amanda. Yeah. What's your your gut reaction to this? I have valid, valid question. I think that um, bottom line is Stanford has Nyjah Kennedy um, sitting as their ace. And Florida State showed a little bit that there are definitely some questions in in the circle for them um, and became kind of more of a trend this weekend of just they were kind of fighting through – who was going to get them some outs. And obviously Florida state's offense still showed up and, and, and did a great job, just not enough runs that their, that their pitchers could handle. So I think that Stanford probably just played a cleaner weekend, even though they um, did lose to Florida state. But in my opinion um, right now, it's still very early right now. I still believe Stanford is the better team. um, Even though Florida state did take that win um, against them. I, I think I'm with you on that one. I mean, I think head-to-head matchups do matter. So I agree with you, like completely valid question for this to come up. But it's just the inconsistency, I think, that we saw from Florida State. They did beat Stanford, like you said, um, I think four to nothing. But only one of those was actually an earned run off of Nigel Kennedy. And, you know, then they also lost to UCLA 14 to 10 and Georgia 20 to 10. So the amount of runs that they're giving up, in addition to that unranked loss to Charlotte in the first game, it's just showing a little bit of, of a roller coaster that they're still trying to figure out. Whereas uh, on the other side, Stanford's had a little bit of inconsistency, but all their losses have been to ranked teams like Kentucky, Florida State, and Texas. And they have not been run rolled. They almost did by Texas. Texas almost run rolled them, but they haven't allowed double digits in a game. And then they did beat Tennessee in that one nothing game that's really similar to the, the type of postseason games that we're used to seeing. 
So they've they've given up like half the runs that Florida State has too so far this year, 27 compared to the Seminoles have given up 50 already this early. So I think just keeping those things in mind for the long term, I think that might be why it ended up this way. And for Seminole fans, um, don't don't be upset. I know that Florida State always knows how to turn it on when when it really matters the most, and they kind of use this preseason as finding their identity and and working through some toughness things. And 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 I I still feel like we could see them in the World Series at the end. It doesn't matter. Her teams find a way to buy in and figure it out, and and they are gritty. And so I'm I'm not concerned about about them as a squad just these rankings unfortunately are where we're at right now agree and to that point they've also scored like double the runs that stanford has scored 66 runs to stanford's 30 so just different styles of play that we're seeing so far but you're so right amanda i think i even tweeted this during the weekend like they just find a way they seem to find a way consistently to to make a deep run so i'm with you i think we could very well still see that So the next one is an interesting one. Texas looks the best they have looked since 2020. Could this be the year they take down OU? Early, Amanda, but thoughts? I love this question. I I think that they could squeak out um, two in their series against OU. I cannot wait. I think that there's so much history here, and obviously not just their softball programs, but for their school, there's so much pride um, for – Red River rivalry, right? Kind of, yeah. kind of hard to a mouthful, but um, yeah. there's always like a lot of emotions. I feel like even when Texas was not as good and, and OU was the powerhouse, there was still so much hype and excitement and so much passion from from both sides. So I can't imagine um, what this year is going to look like with a much, much more competitive um, Texas team. So. There's going to be a lot of emotion. I think it's going to be a, a huge fight. But if if there was a year, I think this could definitely be the year that um, that Texas could sneak out to against a very good Oklahoma team. Yeah, I think I'm. I think we agree in the sense that it's like anyone can beat anyone on any given day, right? Like you have to show up every day, and that's very much the mindset that Oklahoma has. Um, they don't take anything for for granted in that sense. And it's like, yes, they lost Jordy Ball, but then they get Kelly Maxwell, right, in yeah. terms of their their bullpen. But there's some familiarity, obviously, that Texas has with Kelly because of the Big 12 and having faced her and the fact that she's, you know, at the end of her career and has spent so many years um, on this stage in college. Also, so far, Texas hitting 415 as a team and their staff ERA is 1.17. It's a pretty pretty good recipe um, for some success if they can continue on this trend. And then also, I know that you're a big fan of Tegan Kavan, uh, Amanda, just an impact yeah. freshman already in the circle. Yeah, coming in looking like a veteran, I had to look up like, who who is this girl? I don't remember her from last year, just totally coming in with with ice in her veins, had no emotion on her face. And I had to I had to look her up. I'm like, who is this and where did she come from? And just to find out that she's a freshman, um, so exciting to see the way that she has competed so far. And I'm I'm really excited to see where she can take this Texas team. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, too, that these two teams were were kind of down to the wire. I mean, last year, OU was so dominant. But think about a yeah. couple years prior, a few years prior. They, they've been they've been right there. They've been right there. Love that question. So. This is another one we got. As a UCLA fan, why do you still have them in your top 25? I would love to debate this. I think this, a lot of people would love to debate this. 
Yeah, I think that um, having some eyes on them this weekend, I thought that, you know, they have so many pure hitters on their team that truly when the ball gets rolling and they're and they're vibing off of each other, they can they can score a lot of runs. So it's just about their pitching staff to see if their pitching staff can can keep it at a minimum for as long as I can remember. And and I grew up a UCLA, a huge UCLA softball fan. So I went to many games. As long as I can remember, they always had that one ace that was there was dominant in the circle and that they plan to ride until the end. Right. And, and this is probably the first year that it's like, they're going to have to share the load a little bit and figure out a new identity of UCLA softball. And how are they going to do that? Well, you still have Maya Brady um, leading your lineup and you have, I mean, so many young ones and Megan Grant and Jordan Woolery and you have Charlize Palacios behind the plate. Like you still have some, some all American caliber talent. And so with that, I think that they can be anyone as we saw against Florida state. Yeah. And to your point, they did beat Florida state. Um, and their losses have all been to ranked teams too. They are the only ones that with a losing record technically, um, in the top 25. So again, valid question, but they lost to Oklahoma state, Georgia, Texas, a couple of times. Um, it, it's one of those things where, some teams in the top 25 also haven't played a ranked opponent yet this year. Right. So like, I think keeping in mind the level of competition is, is really key. And then you mentioned some of their really key players, especially I think Charlize Palacios, just because that is going to be a huge piece, not just she's part of the offense, but also with the battery because Mm -hmm. they're having some challenges in the circle Um, to have that veteran leadership is going to be big. Um, But I think, I think, you know, Mary Nutter, they're going there. And it's going to be big for them. I think this is actually going to be really telling as to if they'll they'll kind of stick around in the polls or, you know, this is going to be, I think, an interesting um, pivot potentially for them either direction. Like, we'll see how it plays out because, you know, almost six, I think it's 6.84 staff ERA and then they're hitting 245 as a team. I think that's the place where they could definitely and easily improve as hitters get more mm-hmm. comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Do you think Georgia has a chance of getting to the Women's College World Series? Amanda? I think it's more, way more than a chance. I think that it's right there in front of them um, as long as they keep keep it rolling and um, can pitch well in the circle. I thought their defense looked great. Um, super excited about their offense. I thought I loved watching them compete. It looked like they were all bought into a certain plan. Um, I think that their chances are extremely high. Anything can happen in the postseason, um, which we all have experienced. But um, yeah, I think that they absolutely have the tools and I will be really shocked if we don't see them in Oklahoma City. Definitely. I mean, Tennessee was picked to win the SEC by the coaches in the preseason poll. Um, Amanda and I have said many times that preseason polls are are interesting, right? But the one that matters is, is the results at the end. But the point I'm trying to make is that Georgia was picked second and it literally was only by one point that Tennessee mm-hmm. was picked to win over Georgia one point. And they actually split first place votes six and six. The other one went to Florida who was picked seventh overall. But I think people who are probably the most familiar with them uh, in the sec are already knew that they were going to be competing at a high level. Um, so I think that that's, it's not always the whole story, but it, it is a good indicator as well um, for them moving forward. Man, so many things. It's like we don't only scratch the surface. Like we've covered a lot, but we've only scratched the surface. Um, 
but it was exciting because a lot of these teams that we're, we're talking about, we got to see in person in Clearwater. So let's, let's recap it. I loved being with you in person, Amanda. Also, we got to meet in person, which was exciting. That's always fun. So many other people that we saw in person there. Amanda's a celebrity, by the way. People either wanted a photo with her or they were her friend and they were coming up to her and saying hello and a big old hug. So she was really the star, in my opinion. But what were some of your <laughs> favorite moments uh, from the weekend? Um, yeah, I think just one, like seeing the amount of fans there was so exciting. We need We need more seats in Clearwater. Um, our game is happy to be there and obviously there was a need for more. So I don't know who we need to talk to, to make that happen, but we knew that we need to invest in that a little bit, but I was just so excited about how excited the fans were so excited to see ESPN there and the coverage for our sport. And then I got to see so many familiar faces, um, which I love. Um, the best part about this game is, is all the people and the relationships and, got to see so many of my favorites. So it was so much fun. And we got to see some pretty good softball too. Oh man. And this yeah. came up a few times, like you, you interviewed Nigel Kennedy and she said it felt like Oklahoma city in terms mm -hmm. of the level of softball that was being played, but also the fans. And it, it did. There was a little bit of chirping there. There were the cheers, like all of that stuff. It really did feel like a preview for the women's college world series. And that, that makes it fun. Yeah. These programs top, um, most loyal fans and parents definitely made the trip and they made their voices heard um, in many games. And it was really exciting to be there. Yeah, and it was it was really cute too. just seeing the young ones were so excited. They had like autograph signing sessions. And um, you saw Amanda, you pointed out the little girl um, uh, for Washington and she had a sign and said, I traveled 1000, I think it was 1545 miles or something to see Sis Bates. And so even seeing like, Sis and Victoria Hayward and Courtney Gano and Sammy Reynolds all on the same staff with Heather Tarr. And yes, shout yeah. out to, to Lance too. We're not, we're not forgetting Lance, <laughs> but just seeing them all together. Like those are the types of moments I think that are so freaking cool. Yeah. And I mean, if you can see it, you can be it. Right. So I think just having the amount of one, the coverage that we've been so blessed to have in our sport and how it just keeps increasing and increasing. And that gives the opportunity for that, that youngster to see Sis Bates playing and then the fact that she's still in the game and and wants to give more and so she can stay around. So it's just so cool to see these little ones come and see it with their eyes and know that um, they keep going and are passionate and do the right things and work hard that um, they could be on the field and have someone with a sign like that that says her name. So it, it super cool. So many young softballers, you know, who are dreaming about playing in that tournament one day. And that's just what's so special about our sport. And the pros and alums that that came out to support too. Like we got a, I got a chance to talk to Jesse Warren. You got a chance to talk to your friend Haley McClenny. And those mm -hmm. interviews are, are up on D1 Softball social channels, by the way. So take a look at those. But seeing the support from players, and and this reminds me of you too, Amanda. Like from the players that had a big impact in college, but are still playing and still making a big impact on the sport, come back to support as well. Like that's I think extra special. Absolutely. And I mean, it's our life, right? So I think that just doesn't go away. And obviously you see that with Jesse Warren, who's so passionate about and vocal about her love for Florida State. Um, 
and how she feels about the program. And so when they're in her backyard, of course, she's going to be there, be there to support and, and cheer them on. And she's been in their shoes and Haley McClenney supporting her fiance's program in Florida State. So just so cool. Um, and then also having the access for young softballers who are there, they see the, their favorite pros in the stands as well. So just awesome. I know it like reminded me a little bit of travel ball in terms of the intimacy. First of all, all the little ones like in their little uniforms, you know, yeah. uh, running around, but then just, just like the closest, how many teams there were there, um, how close, like all the fields were together, multiple fields, all that kind of, it's hard not to think about like the little girl who fell in love with the game, which I think we talked to all these players and coaches. They, they always think back to that, um, yeah. especially in the tough moments. So it was really, really cool to see that. But the less cool thing was that it was clear water, but it was not clear skies. <laughs> so we, you know, we got maybe slightly over maybe around half of the tournament that we were expecting. Um, Thursday and Friday were great. Got in some Saturday morning, but then it was a little tough uh, getting rained out. That's what we deal with, I guess, as an outdoor sport. Yeah, just brutal with the amount of competition that still was to be had the rest of the weekend and the amount of TV coverage. Um you know, like ESPN invests in that tournament and expects it to be on certain channels and the coverage and and our sport needs it to continue to grow. We need those numbers. So rain was just super unfortunate um, because we need that to keep proving what we're getting so we can keep getting more. So um, super unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, we all want softball, right? Like including the teams, like they were like, chomping at the bit. Some teams only got to play two games over the weekend. So, and again, like that's how I mentioned earlier, the big 10 in particular, for example, Northwestern only played two games. And so, some of these teams from, from other parts of the country, like they need those reps and want those reps. Mm -hmm. So some of these other preseason tournaments are, are going to be pretty, pretty big because of that. But also, Amanda, I loved um, some of the other interviews you did. You know, you talked to Niger Kennedy, you talked to, Newland from LSU, you talked to Lindy Ray Davis from Georgia, like all, definitely would recommend in terms of a recap, taking a look at all of those interviews. We did, I think about 10 um, in, in half the tournament. So we would, we were trying to get you guys more, but you know, yeah. we were still able to get those in um, with the team. So I would, again, definitely look at the social channels to check those out. All right. So Clearwater was interesting. It was a good one. I would say um, now we are interested in potentially looking at some of our favorite plays of the week. Um, and Amanda, what do you got? Okay, so both Jenna and I kind of wanted to pick a play of the week that we'll kind of talk to one of our favorites from the weekend. So we, I chose um, Lindy Ray Davis's game tying three run home run against Oklahoma State, and we'll let that play for you now, and then I'll continue to talk about it. Georgia, go for four. Line to right and over the head of Tim, and whoa, that gets out near the scoreboard. Thanks to our friends at 643 Charts and Synergy for sending that, us that video on short notice. But um, yeah, I, I we were watching this game and I was super excited about this matchup just because of the amount of offense on both sides. And Oklahoma State was in control for most of the game. And um, then they got into some tr trouble, put their ace in with Lexi Kilfoyle and Georgia looked 
on it once she was in the game. And I was sitting behind the plate. Like she looked like she was had her best stuff as well. Like Lexi looked great. She was hitting her spots, mixing speeds really well. It just looked that the, like the Georgia hitters um, had a better plan. Um, she was mixing up speeds and locations against Lindy Ray Davis, and she was fouling them off left and right, locked in, 2-2 two -two count, kept kept going back and forth. And finally, she came back with another inside drop ball, and she lasered it over the right field fence to tie the game. And it um, Georgia never looked back there. But super big moment. They had some momentum going, but she really sealed the deal, let their dugout breathe a little bit, and then continue to pour on the runs. So true. And also the fact that, you know, we had, for example, Sarah Mosley, Jada Kearney, Shelby Walters, all in the preseason All-American picks for D1 softball this year. But Lindy Ray Davis, it shows like that one through nine plan, to your point, Amanda, that yeah. they had and her having her moment, I thought was awesome, especially when she was fangirling. She's one of the fangirls for Amanda, too, afterwards. Before we shot that interview, she was so excited to meet her. But I felt like the enthusiasm was equal on both sides. Yeah, I was so excited to talk through her plan and just what I could hear the on-deck hitter like as she kept um, fouling balls off. She was like, great late window. Like they were all so bought into to their plan that it was it was giving me goosebumps as a hitting nerd. So I was so excited to talk about just what she was trying to accomplish in the, in the at-bat. And if you go back to our interview, um, she said she was just trying to hit a line drive to the shortstop's head, like right over her head, right over her head. And look where she hit it. She hit a line drive over the right field fence. So it's crazy how that works just with approaches and and trying to pepper the ball a certain place, how with what the pitcher's trying to do, how she definitely was trying to go that way, but it ended up going over the right field fence. And oh my gosh, just a beautiful at-bat. Love it. Yes, and take a look at... Amanda's interview with her as well, because there's some good stuff in there. And my play of the week is on the defensive side in the Oklahoma State Florida game that was scheduled super last minute for Monday. So let's take a look. Washington, when she was with Alabama, as that's popped up, left side. Oh, what a grab by Edwards in foul ground. One down. I just, I love defense, A. I'm a big defense person. I also played the corners in college, so this is extra special to my to my heart. But I think it just shows a few different things. Obviously, all-out effort. Like, who doesn't love to see that, right, at any time? Um, and, and I think shows how much they wanted to play. You know, it was this last-minute game that they just threw together because Oklahoma State happened to be sticking around to play some more games in Florida. So a top 25 matchup, hey, right out the gate. Um, just on Monday thrown together last minute, I think this was pretty symbolic of how much they wanted to play. And, you know, because I played the corners, I very much appreciate the little things like third base, for example, in those situations, you're supposed to take priority over the pitcher or the catcher for these plays because you have the angle, like just some of the foundational aspects to it. Um, I think are, were executed so well. And then just the fact that she was so fearless. I mean, she might've scraped her hand, right. But she was like, it's fine. It was worth it. Yeah. Um, so those moments are, are awesome. Yeah. And it was such a pitcher's duel and, and to have your, your defense knowing how much you're grinding out there and she was not going to let that drop. Um, and Talon Edwards had a great weekend as well. We loved watching her. I know she had, she had a first pitch home run against LSU in the top of the first inning. So that was super fun to watch. Um, she had a great weekend and obviously was playing extremely fearless. Um, I don't know in all my years as a leadoff hitter, if I've ever just said, yeah, in this top 10 matchup, I'm going to go and swing at the first pitch. So obviously she's <laughs> extremely fearless. Um, and it was exciting to watch um, on SEC Network Plus last night. We were so excited to get that special treat.
So great. And and huge shout out to everyone at Florida and Oklahoma State and the SEC and ESPN for being able to do that, too. I mean, for those that don't know, too, Kenny Gajewski and Tim Walton, they were actually teammates in junior college. And then um, they actually played together on the national championship team at OU for baseball uh, in 1994. And then Kenny was on Tim's staff at Florida during the two national championships before he went to Oklahoma State. So if ever we we wonder if relationships matter, I think this is proof that they absolutely do. Um, and both staffs were incredible to get that done. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> All right. And then I think what we want to do, some more superlatives coming at you for the week. A win and a whiff coming at you. So when Jenna and I were talking about this podcast this year, we wanted to throw in something fun, like maybe something that we really loved from the week that made us laugh. And then maybe something that was like, oh, that was a miss and yikes, a little yikes moment. And so we're just going to talk through those this year, but we're super excited about bringing one little moment. So I'll let mine play first and then chat about it. This is my win of the week. Oh, that was Lainey. What did they guess? So you bought the box. Yeah, they're good. How about Minnesota showing a lot of courage and wanting to play Wordle with the Brainiacs over at Stanford? Um, I thought that it was just so cute showing up on my timeline during during a rainy day to see that um, Minnesota decided to create a little Wordle game and have some fun with Stanford and Stanford answering the call and, and having some fun with that. But I always love little things like that, that you can see more of their personality shine on social media. There's, yeah, we're seeing insanely talented athletes, but also like there's some funny girls in there with some great personalities. And I love to see that shine on social media. And Minnesota knew their audience clearly, right? Yeah. <laughs> they knew. And and I, I respect that so much because there's, you know, a ton of competition inside the white lines, but there's a lot of community outside of it too. And we talked about relationships matter with Oklahoma state and Florida, but you know, coach Alistair's old stomping grounds, right? We're at Minnesota and she and uh, associate head coach Jessica Merchant actually coached with Piper Ritter, the head coach at Minnesota during that time. Sarah Gronwagen, the newest assistant at Sanford, played under all of them at Minnesota. So, so many ties. You just like, you just love to see it. You love to see it. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> well, on a, a less fun note, uh, the whiff of the week. <sighs> Huge bummer. We've talked about this. Um, in terms of just the weather, right? Like mother nature, I guess, is the whiff of the week, unfortunately for us, because, and it wasn't even just Clearwater actually that got so many games canceled um, across the quote unquote sunshine state in Florida, you know, Gainesville, Tampa, Boca Raton, Miami, 
they all had games canceled. And even in Puerto Vallarta, they had some weather issues and they had to cancel some games. So we just didn't get as much softball as we wanted. I hope Mother Nature doesn't get mad about this, though, because we need her on our side for the rest <laughs> of the season. Yeah. But, you know, we wanted to see to see more softball. And I would say, like, specifically, I was interested in seeing how pitchers were going to respond mm -hmm. because it was, for example, in Clearwater, like quite the pituation um, that we were seeing. You know, most runs in the first two days in the history of the tournament, 271. The next closest to that was almost 100 less back in 2020. It was 177. So when you have these aces who have graduated, like a Megan Framo from UCLA, Catherine Sandercock from Florida State, Danielle Williams from Northwestern, Ashley Rogers from Tennessee, the aces graduated. They all took their teams to the Women's College World Series in their career. And then also, if you look at Oklahoma State and Stanford, who are at that tournament, Kelly Maxwell and Elena Vada respectively transferred out. So mm -hmm. it was a really a huge test. Uh, I don't think there's an excuse to give up, you know, 20 runs in a game. I'm not saying that by any means, but it was a huge test. And so we kind of got to miss out on what the responses were going to be for the rest of the weekend. So Mother Nature, you're killing us. <laughs> <laughs> well, any last thoughts, Amanda? Because this, um, you know, it's only our first one. We want to hear from you guys, but so much has happened already in the first couple weeks of this season, and there's still so much to come. Yeah, what a competitive first two weekends. And I know that that means we're just in for such a great ride um, for this 2024 season. So yeah, I'm just really excited after seeing seeing how well these teams are hitting the ball so early in the season. Like, is that is that coaching? Is that all this data that we have access to? Is it all the video? There's so many, um, so many amazing resources now for for hitters. So um I'm just excited to see how the rest of the year shapes out. And I can't wait to have this platform to talk about it. And we have a ton that's coming up as well. And in terms of what's next, um, some of the D1 team will actually be at the Mary Nutter tournament this weekend. We're, we're super excited about it. Um, it's at the Field of Dreams in Cathedral City. And it's if you don't know, it's modeled after uh, different baseball stadiums, pro baseball stadiums. Played some travel ball tournaments there. I actually played in this tournament. Did you play in this tournament in college, Amanda? I did, yes. Yes. It's it's one of the big ones. It's kind of another postseason preview, essentially, mm -hmm. with the, the field of teams. And we'll have some staff picks. So let us know what you think. But we're also partnering with Players Collective. Super excited about this. Um, D1 Softball and Players Collective will be on site. Like we said, um, there's a chance to see some of the pros some more pros, AKA Amanda's friends. So yeah. that's, that's going to be exciting. <laughs> yes. A great opportunity to learn from some pros um, and, and mingle with them. I think just not only just learning the softball piece, but being able to ask questions and, and find out, you know, things that make us tick and how we got to the level that we're at. So just super exciting to not only get your eyes on some college players, but then get to practice with the pros and, and, and learn some good nuggets. It's going to be a great time in Southern California. And thank you for joining us for this first episode. Let us know what you think, what you want to know, what you want to hear about, and we will be here all season long. Thanks, guys. <laughs>